Well, hello, strangers, and welcome to episode 30 of Strangers in the Cinema with me, Paul Anderson, and that man sitting opposite me is Pete Wall. How are you, Pete? I'm very well, man. I'm very well. Well, I say that, I, I felt better. I felt better. I'm going to struggle my way through this episode because I'm actually feeling a little bit ill, but that's not going to stop me from talking with great vigour about the films that we've got for review today. Well, I and the audience at home, I'm sure, do appreciate your commitment, Pete. So, yeah, uh, was he going to miss it? Coming on, yeah. Yeah, listeners to the show know that this is actually sort of the first consecutive week in which we're starting the show as a, a weekly endeavour, so we didn't want to miss out on the first one. <laughs> so I've, I've dragged myself along here to make sure we get it out on time. So uh, you're welcome. So here we are on a Monday. We're, we're pretty much there on, on the weekly balance. I think we delayed it a little bit because the BAFTAs are on last night and obviously we did want to we're not going to go into a huge amount of detail about the BAFTAs uh, because obviously most people are into films so I've probably seen the news already we've talked a bit about the films that, that were nominated anyway but just to say have you seen have you seen the results yet am I um, spoil these the for you bits and pieces uh, I saw a little bit of the coverage yesterday I think it was shown on, on sort of tape delay by a couple of hours in the UK and um, yeah saw a couple of results here and there I mean what have you seen did anything stand out in particular is so I worth... think a big shout out goes to uh, best British breakout film I think is a category for Under the Shadow I think it's because we kind of brought attention to it, it I think was, it was entirely us yeah I don't think any any other film journalist or any other no. publication in the world had actually mentioned this film remember, until if, we, if you we go back and play that episode it was like oh it's hidden away on netflix difficult to find just just in time for people to get on it before bafta season so yeah again you're welcome um so yeah no so well, well done to the team behind yeah fantastic under the shadow, under the shadow and look yeah. forward to the the next uh, whatever it is from the, the um other notable things i said we're not going to go through all the results uh la la land won best film which do we think then this is a fairly accurate predictor of the oscars it is right I think it's a I, foregone conclusion. I think I said at the time I think it will win everything. Whether it deserves to win everything or not, I don't know. Like don't get me wrong, I think I liked it a bit more than you did when we when we reviewed it. Yeah. And I still stand by the fact I did enjoy La La Land. I enjoyed La La Land. Whether it's whether it's better than Moonlight, whether it's better than some of the films we're going to talk about later, whether it's better than Lion, whether it's, it's better than... It's two different conversations every year, though, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it, Paul? I mean, the question, will it win various Oscars, I think is fairly yes. nailed on. That, that That's the case. And it's not. I'm not saying that as a sort of uh, resentful, you know, I'm above that kind of comment. Um, I think, like you say, there's a lot of merit to that film, but I think it's the perfect film for scooping a load of Oscars. Yeah, and for, I think there's sure. possibly more merit to other films that have, that have come out this time of year, and I, st I still would maintain that I think probably Whiplash is probably a better film than La La Land probably but I mean, deserved it, it more but if if we sit around every year saying like oh you know wring your hands such and such thing that we think is worthy of an Oscar win didn't win the Oscars that way lies madness because well, that's it's, true, yeah. it's the same conversation every year isn't like it the fact so, American Honey didn't get nominated for right, anything yeah so. yeah I mean it, there's there's <laughs> no point getting too upset about it to be fair like what we might do like we've done um, a couple of years previous is some sort of Strangers Awards which we do as an alternative to the Oscars the uh, remedy to you know if you have any kind of uh, sore feelings towards some of those wins or nominations then maybe we can have our say too but we'll see in due course whether yeah we'll see how, we'll that, see how we feel we'll see how the Oscars go and see if we decide that we need to do a sort of anti-Oscars really but um, I thought I thought um, Dev Patel spoke very well um, as you would expect he seemed like such a lovely guy yeah just, gen just genuinely humble genuinely heartfelt speech um, Casey Affleck probably deserved it was a good again a good performance I just feel Manchester by the Sea is quite an overrated film but mm. I'm yet to I catch up with it me at the moment in terms too. of in terms of slightly negative press but anyway so we'll crack on now with the that's, that's kind of the BAFTA chat done we're not going to we're not going to go on about that anymore 
Um, have a look at the results. Let us know what you think. Let us know if you agree with us or not. Yeah, and obviously we've um, got we've got to inevitably cover the Oscars when they come around, so we don't want to get bogged down too much. No, in the and we just end up talking stuff. about the same films over and over again. So, so yes, getting into today's show, uh, as you know by now, we have a trip through the cinema ahead of us. That starts with a trip to the popcorn counter, at which point Paul and myself uh, will pull out a few films for review that we've seen over the last week or so. Um, following that, we'll do a coming attraction section where we'll talk. About about a film each that we're looking forward to in the next kind of month. I think we're restricting it to about about that period. Um, And then we get into our feature or features. This week we've got two. We've got both Lion, mentioning Dev Patel before. We'll be getting into his performance in that film. And then we've got Hidden Figures as well about the women working for NASA in the 1960s getting a bit of buzz as well at uh, this time so we thought we'd cover that one um, after that we get to credits where we give credit to whatever on earth we I'm want I'm excited about credits this week right uh, that, was, that we think is yeah. worthy of credit in the world of film but I think mine's a bit more mine's got a bit more weight behind it than my uh, sort of last minute idea of film related drinking games last week so <laughs> you know but yeah, no, we're still stand by giving credits for film related drinking games but I think this one's got a, you know this one's a bit better than that so so shall I kick us off I've, I'm, I'm keen I'm you're keen, keen? well yeah. go for it Pete Go for it. Yeah, I'm keen really. Well, my first pick, um, approaching Valentine's Day, what everybody's looking for is that special film to take their significant other to. I think I know what film you've got to You can snuggle up close together and watch the heartwarming tale of a sociopath who ruins the (laughs) professional and personal life of apparently his significant other. I'm talking, of course, about uh, Fifty Shades Darker, which is the latest instalment in the Fifty Shades trilogy that is, um, for whatever reason, incredibly popular, at least in book form and now in in film form as well. I'm sure this thing will do big numbers at the box office uh, because there's a lot of hype behind it, a lot of talk, a lot of whispers. But um, just to you know, pull the the veil away uh, of of mystery, there will be some listeners who will think I will never go and see this because it will be so awkward because um, they'll be be too explicit, it'll be full of sex, it'll be full of BDSM practice that I don't understand or want to see on screen. Really, you're a bit misplaced. I, there also in will be perhaps that. a podcast host that might never go and see a co-host that might never go and see the film because it might be awkward it's not talking to people uh, about films and saying that you've seen this. What draws you to that? You've seen the original as well. What drew you to I, see? I've this, seen right? the first one. I've seen this one too. Um, I don't know. I think it, I I'm fair. Like I go to we both go to a lot of films at cinema. I think we try and cover sort of as much as we can. But I am interested in things that capture the public imagination you know like okay. th- things you know like um before i go to sleep or gone girl those kind of pulpy books that seem to have become part of the zeitgeist and everybody's talking about them and i want to see what that actually adds up to now to get into an actual review of this film and i'll keep mm. it as, yeah, as yeah. short Sorry, as I, I digress, i'll keep but... it paul restrained oh i'm gonna do that throughout nice. um yes this <laughs> This tale is now got to the point where Christian Grey had moved away from Anastasia Steele after the first film. Um, it's not to spoil anything, it's in the trailer. Um, and he comes back into her life looking to be offered another chance because he took it too far the first time with his crazy whips and hands. Wasn't there like one spanking scene or something? In yeah. The so uh, what we've got here is uh, Dakota Johnson and Jamie Dornan as the two main protagonists. Um, trying to reignite the relationship that they had in the first film or the first book but again as i mentioned at the you know at the top of this thing the christian gray character is a sketch of a sociopath this is not like jamie dornan is a very attractive man but that is it that is the one let off for this character because as soon as he comes back on the scene he 
he systematically goes about, for example, buying the publishing company at which Dakota Johnson's character is working in order to essentially allow her access to a higher position, um, undermining her as a sort of autonomous professional. Uh, he has seemingly no social skills. Every time he turns up at like a bar or something where she's there, he just says very curtly, right, we're going now, drags her away. She's not allowed to have a social life. And then we've got a film here. He strikes here. me as a bit of a knob. He's terrible, just a deviant. He's, ter he's like <laughs> the most unlikable character that we'll see on screen this entire year. Um, and I'm not sure that E.L. James has ne necessarily designed him that way. I think she thinks that she's writing this really sort of beguiling figure. And maybe I'm off base. Maybe, you know, female listeners will tell me that, that everything about the way that he behaves is actually fine. But I don't think so. Um, when you get to the actual sexual content of this film, it's very, very limited. And it's actually quite... Um, Prudish would be too strong of a word, but it's it's reserved, and that word again is kind of restrained and not in the, the best <laughs> way. Um, there's a moment, I, I want to mention just one moment for this film which made me laugh quite hard and, and slightly embarrass uh, my girlfriend that I was with at the time, which was they go into the red room of pain or whatever, the, with this <laughs> mythical <laughs> red room. I don't know like actually the name of it. It sounds like something out of a Lynch film. Right. They go in there and Dakota Johnson, who I think is a pretty decent actress and quite an intelligent young woman, um, looking around as Anastasia Steele picks up a thing which is essentially a sort of handcuff with a bar thing or ankle cuff with a bar thing. And she says, what's this? <laughs> And uh, Christian Grey, she has no idea. And Christian Grey returns that uh, this line: "Don't run before you can walk." To which she responds, "I kind of like running." What this, does that even mean? This is this is the level of dialogue that we're working with here. Like never before have I been in a film and imagined the writer in a kind of Garth Marenghi fashion sat at the desk thinking like, oh, "I'm right. This is got this is absolute gold. This is so sexy." <laughs> and these people are saying this. There is only one, one, maybe two kinds of BDSM here in this film. One is the actors having to submit to this god awful dialogue. The second one is the audience having to submit to sitting through to the end of this thing we had one or two walkouts but most people stayed there till the bitter end and then sort of sighed and left the room it is sad to me that we are so repressed as a nation that the way in which people are allowed to express themselves in terms of being into something that might veer into the erotic is this just gar like this garbage writing the, like the kind of screenwriting that should never make it past like a first short film we know Paul firsthand the amount of hard work that people put into getting their projects off the ground right talented people skilled yeah. people and then someone like E.L. James has managed to get this kind of exposure without almost any talent to back it up and that I think is the, the biggest so this totally thing. worth a watch then to <laughs> coin my own phrase away from me yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Avoid, you guys, avoid. I mean, if you want to catch it on VOD or something like that later on in the privacy of your own filthy little home, then, you know, that's fine. But <laughs> I, I would not recommend spending your hard-earned money on, on this, this stuff. Paul, what have you got? I'm sure it's going to be a bit of a left turn from there. Right, so because, you know, to follow on from last week, I basically had a nice a bit of a trip to, to CEX and found a number of 88 films kind of remastered sort of video nasties and sort of low-budget horror films starting yeah. with Slaughterhouse which I watched last week so I've continued this this week and this week I have watched a film called Evil Speak uh, which someone at work recommended to me actually and I'm going to do what I did last week really because I think the the backs of these boxes 
are so well written that they do the job for me. Lazy as it may be. So here we go. Evil speak. Are you ready for this? Banned as a video nasty during the horror film purge of the early 1980s, Evil Speak returns to UK shelves remastered and uncut for Blu-ray, exclamation mark, starring horror legend Clint Howard as a bullied military academy student who manages to tap into an ancient satanic ritual and unleash everything from flesh-hungry pigs to heart-tearing dynamic forces. Pause. Right. Flesh flesh-hungry pigs and heart-tearing demonic, for demonic forces. Demonic forces, right. okay. Does um, he do this all with a sort of old-school computer as he well? Does this, that in the he, essentially, he essentially communicates with the forces of Satan through, um, of, well, at the time, obviously, a very high-tech computer. So it kind of taps into the taps into the fear of new technology of the time. Um, and there's some awesome sort of retro graphics when he talks to the devil through the computer. Now, if it sounds shit, then I apologise. It's really actually not... Uh, it, it was a very it was a treat for me for me I regard this in kind of like Peter Jackson's Brain Dead or Return of the Living Dead that kind of those kind of like genuinely good funny comedy horror films um, it's it's just very well done it's hilarious from, from start to finish and genuinely great I really really liked it keep talking Paul I need to cough <laughs> <laughs> and yeah going you know uh, pigs do Yes. Uh, yeah. Coming back in on that, I think I was possessed by demonic forces for you just were, a second so. there somewhere in my throat. But uh, apologies, listeners, for that. Uh, yeah, so it sort of sounds like a, a kind of messed up horror-like war games, I, I would suppose. But instead of Matthew Broderick, we've got a, a horror legend. Is this guy really a horror legend? Do you know him from anywhere else? The genre legend, Clint Howard. Mm. Um I think I do know him. I've got a feeling, and they're, they're, I need to probably do my research a little bit better. I've got a feeling he might have actually turned up in Slaughterhouse, which I talked about last week. Oh, okay. Because I did rec certainly recognise the face from there. Okay. Um, as I said, the flesh-eating pigs are there. That's it, It's insane. Watch it. Come for the flesh-eating pigs. Yeah. <laughs> Stay for the rest. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm interested. You'll have to lend me it, actually. Uh, otherwise, I don't know where I would go about finding this film. Yeah. <laughs> Um, for my second pick for this week's show, I have, um, it seems like a kind of theme emerging as maybe I try and push on some of these shows, which um, will become apparent. This one is called Adult World. Uh, it's directed by a guy called Scott Coffey. I don't think he's done a lot in terms of features before and stars Emma Roberts, Evan Peters and John Cusack. Um, there's a link because of the fact that this is the story of Emma Roberts' character, um, who is called Amy Anderson, Paul. Uh, who <laughs> needs to make some money because she's graduated from college and she is dreaming or in her mind destined to be a poet, a published poet, but she can't for the life of her, you know, make ends meet, find money. Her parents are getting fed up with her situation and how she keeps spending all of their money essentially on entering her poetry for submission to various publications. Um, so she takes the only job that she can find, which is in a place called Adult World, which unsurprisingly is an adult store. Um, selling all kinds of you have been getting into the Valentine's interesting stuff. Yeah, I get you know I get sexy <laughs> this time of year. Um, yeah, a few things. Uh, Emma Roberts is an actress I quite like. She was good in Nerve. I don't know if you've caught up with that from last, I still last year. Caught up in Nerve. Good, surprisingly good about sort of social networking, social media technology, and the dangers that it presents. She was good in that. Um, also, uh, Evan Peters is a fairly charming male lead in this thing. Turns out that uh, the natural chemistry that you see on screen, when I did a bit of research after this thing, translated into them having a real-life relationship, which lasts until, I believe, uh, now. So, uh, okay. yeah, they met on, on the film, and they've had some 
Yeah, go to the Wikipedia. If, if you're interested in this, go to the Wikipedia. It's pretty interesting, actually. Uh, but then John Cusack, you know, the, the setup, yeah, okay, so far, so kind of standard uh, indie film that you might catch at a, an indie film festival. However, John Cusack here, if you're a fan of John Cusack's, I don't think you want to miss this performance. He gets to play this guy, Rat Billings, who is um, or was a seemingly somewhat successful cult um, poet who did his best work when he was sort of 18, 19 and has lived off of past glories a little bit since then. And he is the mentor, although very, very reluctant mentor to Emma Roberts' character. He doesn't really want anything to do with her. He's not really interested in her story of, you know, pursuing artistic integrity because he lives alone and seems fairly miserable and cynical about most things in, in life. And he has a lot of fun playing this role. So yeah, if you're a Cusack fan, check this out. Um, apart from that, I mean, yes, it is kind of standard fare. Some of it doesn't work as well as other parts. There's a fairly forced at first relationship with a with a transgender character, which seems a bit underwritten. But um, yeah, but it's nice to hear you talk about John, good John Cusack performance game because I'm I'm a big fan of him. I just yeah. he hasn't done anything really that's and that's jumped out at me. And there's he's no, done some there's no real John Cusack films well, in recent years that have jumped out at me. I'm sure there's probably some that I've missed that. that but are he has okay, he but... has put his name to some quite bad things yeah. I think over the the recent sort of decade. So yeah, nice to see him having some fun here. Um, it's it's not going to change the world this movie, but it'll be interesting to see what the director Scott Coffey does next, I suppose. And certainly Emma Roberts, I think, is a really really talented young actress who brings a lot to a role that with another actress I think might have fallen flat. Um, she yeah she really is committed to this character mm. and she does a little face when she drinks whiskey at one point that is adorable so uh, <laughs> come, come for John Cusack and stay for that face uh, what have you got Paul? Um, going on from as I said the film we, we talked about last week we watched Split didn't we and I, it kind of made me go back and see if there was any gaps in my M. Night Shyamalan uh watch films that I have watched and stuff and there's a hark back to an old feature that we did right. uh, and there was I realised there was a Shyamalan we were talking about Split being a return to form and I realised that I hadn't actually seen a film that he'd made fairly recently and previous to that which is a film called The Visit yeah I haven't seen this yet either um, now I remember watching the trailer and being quite excited so the, the setup of The Visit is these kids these kids go and basically go and visit their estranged grandparents who they've never met um, because their mother obviously doesn't get on with them, and they they get in touch and say we'd like to meet the grandparents. Uh, so they go and spend a week. They go and spend a week with their with their grandparents, um, and the grandparents are fairly odd, shall we say? Mm. Um, that's kind of the premise. There's, it's a Shyamalan film. There's a twist. The twist is pretty obvious. You can probably work it out from. You can probably sit opposite me and work out now ex exactly what the twist is. The twist is fairly uh, signposted early doors. Um, there's some creepy moments in it um, and it's certainly better than the worst of his work but and the creepy moments are very good the way the grandparents kind of scuttle around the house and the way there's like there's like used nappies and stuff and it's it, it, it kind of builds an atmosphere but then I just struggle a bit with with the lead characters like one of one of the 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 boy of the of the brother and sister uh, is some kind of wannabe white rapper and he raps a lot and Shyamalan I assume thinks this is funny Right. But to me, it's just very, very irritating. And I think, and then it, towards the end, he gets given, oh, he's doing another rap now. And then in the credits, the kid's rapping again. And it's it's just not have very you funny. Ever, have you ever seen that movie, uh, Gigli? 
I've yeah. never seen Jiggly. Okay, so we, maybe we'll do. A, we won't. Maybe we'll do a feature. We won't sometime <laughs> about the the worst white guy raps in film history because there is a sequence in that where uh, a mentally handicapped character is with Ben Affleck in a morgue and raps "Baby Got Back." Okay, yeah. I, def- may, I defy quite, you to say that it's worse than that. that. Then. But I think the issue with, the issue is with, with you know with with films with with horror films when people are in peril you kind of need to relate to and how you know and care a bit about the people that are in peril Mm. and this kid is so irritating that i almost want the grandparents to just kill him because he's just annoying and you you kind of want him off a shot the 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 horror stuff there when when it does build suspense it's okay the bits in between i just don't think that the the cast are likable enough The, the film doesn't really offer anything in terms of engaging characters you can relate to outside of its outside of its set pieces but it seems like maybe you have insight on this it does seem like M. Night Shyamalan is is almost bulletproof when it comes to the fact that so many of his films or at least you know a a healthy 50% of his films have taken an absolute critical shewing but he still gets funding to make the next and the next and the next this is what we were saying when we we first the trailer for Split first dropped was like how how is he still getting funding because I mean After Earth was terrible the happening is arguably so bad it's good but still definitely bad um and you know lady in the water which i haven't i think that's the other one i haven't seen yet actually but and again the visit the visit's okay it is okay but nothing more than that incidentally it was lady in the water wasn't it where there was a film critic character who, who got who was drowned in the swimming pool i think right 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 yeah. which which sorry to to dredge it back up but it takes me to thinking about 50 shades of darker just because i don't know if i mentioned <laughs> this to you before that there is a, a bit in that where um the in the uh publishing house that anastasia still works for she um goes to a meeting because her boss isn't there because he's done a bad thing and uh she goes to this meeting and in the meeting they say oh anastasia do you have any ideas and she says well yes i think we should be putting money into a, a writer you know that a writer that's been found online they're like oh online what's this it's like 20, well, hold, 2016 hold on, hold on a minute so you're insinuating that that you can discover a writer online now apparently so that's yeah insane. apparently so and it, and it was just hilarious to me because it's like yeah, we get it. E.L. James was a fan fiction writer, right, who put her stuff out on the internet. So has written in that situation as a plausible sort of eureka moment in some publishing company. But anyway, I've di- digressed a lot. I can tell that I can tell that you did not like that film because you've <laughs> you've, you've digressed. You've gone on. We've moved away quite... from it. We've moved back to it. We've moved away from it. We've moved back to it. I f- but... found it quite entertaining. Let's go on to coming attractions then. Okay, let's do it. Let's head on to coming attractions. And we will draw a line under Fifty Shades Talk now for the rest of the podcast. That's it. <laughs> I've been told, don't get off the rails when you're with Paul Anderson. You'll drive this train on. Right, uh, coming attractions, Paul. Uh, do you want to go first? I can go first. What's I'll, I'll throw out? it in. I'll throw it in. It was a first trailer that came out a little while ago, actually. It's a film out this year. I think it might be more than a month away, so I may have broken that rule and unwittingly done that, so apologies. I hope right. you forgive me. Um, Alien Covenant. Okay. Which is, I think... A sequel to Prometheus, possibly, mm. um, because Michael Fassbender appears in it again, mm-hmm. um, and Michael Fassbender's character uh, David was probably the was, well was definitely the best thing in Prometheus. Mm. Um, it looks like the series is going back to its roots. Um, I think Catherine Waterston turns up this time. Danny McBride's in there. Yeah, well, it um, seems like an odd bit of casting, Danny McBride. Yeah, I think you know I, I'm willing to give him a give him a punch. He's done in the role, he's but... done one or two serious roles before, and I and I just can remember off the top of my head. But yeah, interesting anyway. Um, but 
So the the trailer's out. I said it looks like they're taking the the Alien series back to its roots. My, I think it it looks very cool. It's got a nice look about it. Ridley Scott's always, you know, Ridley Scott's back on directorial duties. I think it will be atmospheric. My one concern is maybe it's going too far back to its roots to the point where you go, okay, if this film is exactly like Alien, which it looks a lot like Alien, then why does it exist at all? Yeah, well, um, we get that so, so much nowadays, yeah. right? Like it's just it's, don't get me wrong; it's a hard balance to strike. Like you know, I'd be the first to go. Well, it was nothing like Alien. What's the point? But then I'm also, you know, it's it's I, we're hard people to please, this, film fans. This is, but this is your your area. But what's the release year of Alien? First Alien, seventy nine. Seventy nine. Yeah, I was going to say I'm less confident. Um, so I I would say in answer to what you said that it's the very fact that there are young viewers, younger viewers now who in this day and age would in for the most part be reluctant to watch a film that came out in 1979 mm. so I'd imagine if we were getting some recycled content that's probably the reason because it's a such a yeah, popular yeah, property yeah. anyway right and such an easy sell to sci-fi fans I think but I'm I, you know I, it, I think the trailer's good enough to make me want to see the film yeah oh, absolutely. I think there'll, I think there'll be a lot of good stuff in there mm. uh, just hope it's, it doesn't retread too much of the same ground um, yeah. what was your what's your excitable tra- exciting trailer excitable trailer v- very excited about this this is uh, Kong Skull Island which I believe uh, it's 10th of March or somewhere around there whether it'll be slightly later I'm, I'm not sure but yeah a month away let's say um, this one is directed by uh, Jordan Vote Roberts who I didn't realise until I looked it up was the director of Kings of Summer which was Kings great. of Summer was awesome really yeah. great so yeah. I mean quite I mean it's, it's weird because it seems like a massive departure but also has kind of stuff in common even watching the trailer you remember those scenes in Kings of Summer where they go to build the summer house and they're all spending time in a wooded area and then you're on Skull Island and they're all spending time in a kind of jungle area working I think there's, there seems to be a movement in Hollywood for giving giving bigger budget films to kind of less well known directors Colin Trevorrow with Jurassic yeah, yeah, World yeah. for example even though I don't think he did a very good job with Jurassic World but I don't think that's essentially his fault because he came from um, Safety Not Guaranteed. Yeah, right. And then you've got another another example, though, a slightly more established director, Ryan Johnson, doing Star Wars Episode Absolutely. 8, for example. So but I think someone who started, even in Ryan yeah. Johnson's case, in indies, right? Indie yeah. films like Brick and, and so, so on. Which, so. I, which I'm all for. You know, I'm all for giving big budget films to talented indie directors. But, but why I'd be excited about this, I mean, the Peter Jackson uh, King Kong, I liked a lot. I think I liked more than most. Um, even though it stretched fully three hours, I went to see it two or three times at the cinema. Um, the section on Skull Island is just just wonderful, um, and Nemi Watts is fantastic. In this one, we've got Brie Larson, which is reason to go um, without knowing anybody else who's in it. Uh, we've also got Tom Hiddleston, John C. Riley, who I like in near enough everything. We were trying to think earlier on of a bad John C. Riley film. You came up with maybe Step Brothers, yeah, which, which I, I just didn't like at all. I think I semi agree with you on that. I, I didn't love it, but mostly John C. Riley is is wonderful. Yeah. Um, Sam. Jackson probably Sam Jacksoning the fuck out of everything like he seems to do nowadays. Uh, Toby Kebbell, who we just saw in a Monster Calls, as yep. the, the father, right? And uh, John Goodman, who has that been is an on, awesome cast on great form. Yeah. So yeah, really, really strong cast. It's it's Skull Island. It's King Kong. I don't really need to say much more than that. Uh, really excited. Only a month away. Fantastic. Which brings us to then feature reviews. Uh, so we're, this week we're going to do Lion yep. and Hidden Figures. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to start with Lion, directed by. Garth Davis and starring Sonny Pawar, Dev Patel, Nicole Kidman, Rooney Mara, amongst many others. But I think I've nailed the core. Yeah, cast I think they're there. the key cast really yeah. here. Um, 
Yeah, Garth Davis, you mentioned the director, didn't know a lot about him, looked him up. The only thing that stood out to me and sort of made great sense when we get into talking about this thing is that he directed a few episodes of Top of the Lake with Elizabeth Moss, oh, okay. which looked beautiful, yeah. and so it kind of made sense. It makes that, sense. That that's that think, guy. Yeah, the first thing that kind of jumps out on Lion is that it does look stunning I yeah. mean, so we, we'll set the scene a little bit yeah so setting the scene thought, if you're unaware uh, there is a small boy five year old Indian boy who wakes up on a train platform early into the film to find his brother somewhere else uh, he's alone um, he doesn't know where his family are he does his best to find his family but through a course of events he finds himself adopted and with a family living in Australia 25 years later he becomes Dev Patel and he then wants to track down his biological mother and his family including a brother and sister that he lost all those years ago with the benefit of modern technology and by and large the support of his girlfriend and his adoptive family um, yeah Paul you said it looked beautiful first half let's get into the first half first of all because I think this is sort of a film of two halves is it fair to it's say? It's definitely a film of two halves and I have to say when I first saw the trailer I thought oh here we go again it's going to be a little bit oh, it's going to be very overwrought mm. um, it's going to just uh, yeah I just thought it would be overwrought I thought it would be heavy handed the emotion would be laid on with a thick sort of soup spoon mm. like you will cry here and this is an emotional film and you must have an emotional response um, and I was pleased to say that I was proved wrong mm. um, I think the first half of the film is absolutely superb mm. um, Sonny Pawar the, the, the little kid is just a, absolutely captivating and yeah, a you, delight to behold on screen you know this this little guy uh, Sonny Pawar we've mentioned had I had never seen a film before he was cast in That's this from an, they did an open casting call and had sort of a few thousand different young actors or semi-professional or unprofessional actors to look at and he got the role and when he watched his first film he was in the film mm. because it was this one and yeah he, he has this kind of I guess what you might get from an amateur actor and someone of his age where he's so sort of wide-eyed and honest in his performance because a lot of it is just response right it's just I can't response. imagine he's, he's acting to be honest I think right. he's just excited to be there and you know and, the, and you just you feel you're you're right there with him like you kind of take that journey with him and he's kind of it, it's 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 horrifying in slices because obviously he realises he's thousands of miles away from his home well, and yeah, he's stuck on the train because with his family. This is it. Like I, I missed this from the introduction. So what happens with the little boy at the, the train station, and again, it's not spoiling anything, it's set up for the film, is that he ends up um, from that platform getting onto a train when he's looking for his brother and that train, unbeknownst to him, is travelling, as you say, hundreds and hundreds of miles away to Calcutta, which mm. is where he ends up getting off the train and still, naively as you would be as a five-year-old in, you know, a an unusual place thinks oh well my family will be around somewhere I'll just ask some people and those, those you know those things are heartbreaking when it when it kind of finally realises the, the, the predicament he's in it's a, it's a heartbreaking film to watch and again not not in it's not heavy handed or anything like that and I think his performance does help yeah I mean we also must mention that a lot of that feeling that's generated yes it is from this young actor but it's also from like camera movements the use of audio that isn't overall as you know you were mentioning just a moment ago uh, the yeah the editing here the some of the scenes where the sound is dropped to a lower level or we have clever like intercutting of sequences or jump cutting forward in time like it's really artfully put together oh, that, it that looks, first it, yeah, the, I mean the whole the whole film not just the first half looks absolutely fantastic it's meticulously shot mm. um, and, and he's, he's great it's just 
So well, yeah, you're going to get to it. I mean, what's for you is there is the second half worse, bad? Where, where do you fall on the, the second half of this film? Because obviously the delineation here is that we go from Sonny Pua, the five-year-old amateur actor, and yeah. then we get to Dev Patel. Now, I don't think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think the criticism is going to be that Dev Patel's performance is bad, right? No, uh, there's nothing. I've got no issue with any of the performances in the film. I think Dev Patel does a very good job, and probably you know he's certainly deserving winner of the BAFTA he, he picked up um, last night. I just think the second half of the film probably rumbles on a little bit too long for my liking. Mm. You kind of go, okay, I understand. He, he, you know, he wants to find his family. That makes sense. It's, it's a nice idea. He's got Rooney Mara's character offers to support him, and then he kind of seems to just mope around for ages, trying to make a decision whether he's going to find his family. And then it seems like he's going to decide to find his family. Then he doesn't. Then he does. Then he doesn't. Then he does. Well, then he yeah. doesn't. Then he does. And I'm just like, well, I don't understand why why it laboured so long on. Yeah. that kind of decision making process I, I, I would say I went a slightly different way which is I thought that it felt underpowered in the sense that it just needed a bit more meat to it mm. like I didn't I think you're I basically agree with you that like it ends up feeling too long for the reason that as you say it, we seem to be labouring the same point without yeah. expanding the world enough in terms yeah. of his sort of family life he has this brother I don't want to make light of it but uh, can you remember his name like Mandeep Mandrake Manhoof, no, the, the brother, the brother that he has, and, and every time they go to this guy, I just say no, I can't remember the name. Rather than every just time, something up. every time they go to this guy, he's just like Manash, isn't it? I get it. He's he's based on a real character, but like he is just a berserker. Like he's this berserker, like living like a wild man in the in the scrub in the bush. He's left the family and just making his mum upset and making his mum cry. And we get follow through on that storyline you know the, the line where Dev Patel says to Nicole Kidman his mother um, I hate what he's done to you but I don't feel like we get to see enough of it it's like you go to him he does some crazy shouting or you know he's drunk or something and then we cut away from that yeah. it's a bit sketched in and a bit secondary to the, yeah. the plot really and I don't I don't, don't like don't get me wrong I don't think it, it doesn't kill the film I think Lion overall is, is a very good film and I, if we're coming across I think we might be coming across don't worry across about that little little I think we're being completely even handed um I do still think the film as a whole does work. Yeah, I yeah. just think it, it just it wobbles a bit in the in the middle of the second half. Mm. It picks up again by the end. I do. I like. I like. I like where it goes. And the the, the yeah. I I won't speak out of turn or say too much. But the final sequence, I've heard some people criticise as being a little bit saccharine or whatever. I actually think it was pretty. They've powerful. obviously never watched London Millionaire. That's, that's a saccharine final sequence. And yeah, I'm, and no, it's interesting you say that. I've not read that criticism, and I'm normally one of the first people to go. That was that was overwrought. And it's, mm. you know, as I said, the trailer. I did not buy into the film based on the trailer at all, to be honest. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm one of the harshest critics for films doing that, and, and I didn't think it did that. And I sort of touched on this earlier in terms of the sound design, but there's a tremendous bit of work, I thought, um, which reminded me a little bit of a sequence that Steve McQueen had in 12 Years a Sla Slave, where um, the, it was uh, the Chiotology 4 character there's pulling away on the back of a, a vehicle, and the camera's looking back, and the sound drops to almost nothing. There's a similar-ish sequence in this film, and I just thought it was so beautifully handled. So, yeah, you're absolutely right, say, Paul. We don't want to come down on this sounding as if we're being, you know, harsh or whatever. I really don't think that's the case. 
really enjoyed it. I know, it I'd watch it again. Exceeded expectations it. I, it's, for, it's, for sure. It's, uh, it's definitely one we recommend. Although one bit of the casting that I would criticise is Nicole Kidman's wig, but that's another conversation <laughs> for another day. Um, but yeah, yeah, really to be recommended, really good. If you thought you were going to dodge it because of like Paul mentioning that it looks a bit schmaltzy, it's not, and you, you know, don't don't miss it at the cinema. And the first half is spectacular. Oh yeah, and worth seeing yeah. at the cinema for sure, not yeah. just waiting to watch it at home. I would no, say. absolutely, absolutely. So, second feature, Paul, we've got Hidden Figures. Um, Hidden Figures, of course, uh, as we mentioned at the top of the show, is a film that tells the story of the uh, black women who worked as what they called at the time computers, yeah. um, human computers. I found this bizarre. Yes. Bizarre that there's there's a, that all these characters, that oh, we don't need computers anymore. Mm. I found that bizarre, but obviously that would make sense that they would be called computers. Because it was that computation that they were doing, yeah, before, well, actually we see in the film the IBM yeah. Computer International Business Machine, I think they call yeah. it, uh, came in and obviously affected the way that they yeah. did the, handle the workflow in that place. But... Um, getting ahead of myself Theodore Melfi is the director of this who directed I think most prominently uh, St Vincent which I haven't caught up with I've not seen St Vincent uh, as yet so yeah give me your first impression of this um, coming out of the the screen I get I just I really like I really like the the, it's again it's it's an interesting choice of subject to make it's not something I knew anything about I had no I had no idea there were African American women working for NASA at the time Mm. I had no idea just how much impact they had on the space programme so applause straight away what an interesting what an interesting thing to write yeah and of course of course um, here we're, we're in the early 1960s so segregation is still very yes. much a thing and an issue and a problem and yeah. it's central in this film as well yeah um but i think what what works i think a lot in in um hidden figures favor is the fact that it delivers this sort of poignant very poignant and you know it shouldn't be forgotten the civil rights movement and segregation should never be forgotten heaven forbid we ever move back to those those days again um but i think it does it does it with such a light-hearted kind of fun, fun way that it mm. almost makes it more poignant as a result of it. I really, mm. I liked the tone. I liked the fact that the the women, um, Octavia Spencer, um, uh, your new favourite lady in the whole world, J- Janelle Monae. I'll get into that in a moment. But also uh, Taraji Henson, who's the one I was less familiar with on, yeah. on screen, who plays the sort of central character who gets the. They all promotion. have they all have great chemistry. The film is very funny from start to finish, whilst delivering a poignant message. The only time I think it probably oversteps the mark is when is when one of the characters has an. They may as well just have posted for your consideration across mm. a powerful speech that she gives to Kevin Costner. Yeah, that's the only time the film wobbles yeah. for me a little bit. I didn't but, bring it up, Paul, but in um, and you'll know the moment I'm referring to I feel like Lion kind of had that moment as well but I don't know whether that's unfair and maybe it was just because that particular outburst from Dev Patel mm. was in the trailer but okay. you, you do feel it around this season certain bits yeah. of script writing stand out like this is the bit that's going to be clipped clip for the Oscars ceremony but yeah, for me that's the only time sort of that's the only time Hidden Figures really wobbled um, Kevin Costner's on great form I, I, there's something about Kevin Costner well, and I like I, him a lot I, I just want to stop on that point for a second because you say that it wobbled I actually think that exchange is very good it's very strong i think the issue is that it feels a bit jarring because of the way that it it may be it's this outburst that it doesn't come from nowhere it comes from very grounded it's a, to do with the uh, the character not being able to use a bathroom because there's no colored bathroom in the yeah so, so basically there's, there's no working. colored bathroom in the unit in which she's working and she has to basically go a mile or something all the way all the way across to the other side of the base and kevin costner who's the boss of the space program catches her out and is like where have you been and you kind of she keeps disappearing and then obviously she lets on she gets quite understandably quite angry um understandably annoyed that 
she can't go to the toilet in a quick time and then just unleashes on Kevin Costner. Mm. And don't get me wrong, it's relevant to the film that, that that speech isn't forced into the film. It is relevant to the story. But I just thought in the delivery of it just felt... Yeah, compared to what we've got either side of yeah. it, I think I agree. And you see it coming because you see that this sequence... But it's sort of played, like you said before, it's sort of played light-heartedly. And I think maybe that gets to the heart of the issue, right? You said this, a lot of this material is hand, handled like, quite light-heartedly. And then suddenly we get this sort of what seems to be designed to be quite a sort of gut-punching um, bit of expository, you know, speech from this character. And, yeah, just a little bit odds with what's there around it. We've also got here Jim Parsons that everybody knows from, um, you know, the film I'm going to... the TV show that I'm going to talk about. Um, oh, don't. With the geeks I and don't. the stay in an apartment, you know. Oh, yes. Uh, Big Bang Theory. Big Bang Theory. Thank yes. you so much. Yeah. Uh, so Jim Parsons' here's casting is interesting because, again, at times it feels as if that might slightly undercut some seriousness that you're presenting just because he's a character known for well, cracking it, wise. It's and... interesting you say that because I've, not, I've, I've watched about four minutes of Big Bang Theory and I find oh, okay. the whole show actually offensive and virgin on bullying anyone that might be with a slightly geekier interest but that's that's by the by so it didn't it wasn't a distraction for me it mm. might, I can see why it might prove a distraction for people more familiar with the show mm. but I don't think he did too bad a job in mm. fairness it's fair um, enough um, one person yeah you touched on before and I have to mention is Janelle Renee just because I, I we've seen her in this we've also seen her as the sort of surrogate mother figure in Moonlight recently I feel pretty confident in saying that Janelle Monáe is going to be an absolutely giant movie star. I would agree with that. Her she, performance in both of those films has, has been superb. She, she's got a great energy about her. She lights up every scene that she's in. She's already got, a, or had, or is having a, a very successful music career. But I think she looks like an actress who's going to go from strength to strength. And, you know, it's, it's great to see her in two things in quick succession where mm. she gets to play very different characters, but bring the same sort of brightness and energy to, to both roles. So, um, yeah, anything more to say on this see it i think to be honest i think i think definitely check it out if you're even if you're sort of a bit tired you might be going like we i think we said on previous podcasts we were like oh yet another oscars film you know here's another awards consideration uh you know you might think you're a, a bit bored of that and i can understand that but hidden figures isn't really like that it's light-hearted it's fun mm. um and it's it's great really really um, Ma 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 Mahasha really ali Mahasha. No, i can't pronounce his name Marshala Ali, the guy, Ali I think. yeah, who was in Moonlight. And you mentioned you wanted to see a bit more of him in Moonlight, right? Yeah. And then he is again fairly small role, but yeah. he's involved in this as well. Him and Janelle Monet. He seems like an interesting actor too. So there's a lot to recommend it. Of the two, Paul, Lion and Hidden Figures. If you could only go to one, if you're recommending to the listeners to go to one of those, which one do you think you'd go for? Oh, that is a, put you on the spot. Part. You have put me on the spot there. And a push, I. Probably say Lion. Yeah, I, I'm. I would go that way too. I think they're both very good films. I think if you have the opportunity to see both, go to both or catch up with both when you can. But uh, yeah, I think Lion would be my film of the week if we did such a thing. Um, that leaves us only f to do some uh, some credits. Yes. I suppose. Let's do some credits. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm excited to be well, in you, the credits. You section. get into it then. So, so. Um, before Christmas, I had an email appear, uh, which was two tickets to see and um, sorry Pete I didn't take you to this um, there was two tickets uh, two tickets to see There Will Be Blood at Colston Hall in Bristol with live orchestral accompaniment mm. uh, and it was awesome so I'm going to pay credit to I've only been to one admittedly to uh, films with live orchestral screenings 
Um, I won't pay credit to the audience who decided that it's okay just to keep getting up and down and going for beers. Uh, and to the two people in particular, I will name check you two. In the credits to a film, there is still music. And when there is music and an orchestra is playing it, you sit through and sit through until the orchestra is finished playing. You do not get up and leave when the credits roll. Not cool, not acceptable. However, what is very cool is watching a live orchestra play a soundtrack to a film as good as There Will Be Blood. It was awesome. If you get a chance to go and see a screen with a live orchestral soundtrack, absolutely do it. This is one of those moments, Paul, at which I shoehorn in a story about South Korea. So we're talking about watching films with, uh, with live audiences. I have actually been to one myself. Um, that was to see a uh, screening... I, uh, I I hate myself. Talking about films with live audiences, I've seen I've been to a number of those. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I went to uh, Fifty Shades Dark yeah. and the live, just about live audience. No, uh, live orchestras. I went to see this thing um, uh, uh, about. It was like the first stop motion animation. It was an outdoor screening, and it had this orchestral uh, orchestral accompaniment because it was essentially a silent animated. Yeah. feature um, I think called The Adventures of Sinbad or something along those lines um, yeah I should have looked this up beforehand but I just thought I'd throw out my story so yeah I'm fully in support of what you're saying because I think that these kinds of events when they come up you know jump all over them really um, because it's a great experience and quite a different experience to what you might get regularly in the cinema yeah it kind of it kind of reminds me a bit of well I say reminds me a bit that's since I've done it but it kind of I think it evokes what it might have felt like going to the cinema many many years ago when cinemas first um when sort of theatres first opened where you had like an orchestra pit and you had obviously silent films and an orchestra play in it. So it takes you back to what that would have been like. Mm. I know you can have the best, you can have like a, the best sound system in the world and it's still not going to be as uncompressed as an orchestra playing the music in front of you. So yeah, if you get a chance, do do go, do go. Um, and what are you paying credit to this week? Well, I apologise in advance if I need to, I suppose. But uh, Not Fifty Shades. <laughs> no, think, thinking about giving credit this time. There was a film that I was going to talk about and I just couldn't bring myself to do it because it was so turgid. Um, that was the film Equals, which starred uh, Nicholas Holt, and that's not who I'm paying credit to. In fact, it also starred Kristen Stewart. And as much as it might sound like a bizarre thing to do, I want to pay credit to the actress Kristen Stewart because when Twilight was a thing... I thought that, you know, this has, for me, very little appeal and this actress is going to sort of fade once this whole, you know, teen adoration is, is done with. The opposite thing has happened. I've said this probably on the show before, but I genuinely think Kristen Stewart is one of the best working actresses, at least in her age group. Um, this thing equals, and I hope you don't have to see it in the future, to be honest, Paul, because it is, I'd never really heard of it for probably good reason, even though the two leads are very well known. Um, even under the strain of an um, ill-conceived sci-fi idea, uh, Christian Stewart does some really good work. Um, but that's... Do you know, I've, I've been put off of her because of Twilight, I think, but you, you keep saying that she's put some good performances. Yeah, I mean, I'm willing, the, to, give her, the, willing the clincher, to give her another roll of the dice, I think. The clincher for me was um, Clouds of Sils Maria, which I think I talked about on the show. But there she plays opposite Juliette Binoche, who is a fine actress, we're, we're all aware of this. And at certain times, I think, actually outacts Juliette Binoche. Wow, okay. Um, yeah, she's excellent. I mean, she's been in a number of other things. She was in Still Alice. is a very strong performance as Julianne Moore's mm. daughter in that thing, co coping with uh, cancer. Um, Cafe Society I haven't caught up with yet. But 
she just seems like the kind of actress who oh and Personal Shopper which is the uh, Asayas film to follow up Casa Silsmaril which I haven't seen yet because we haven't had a release yet here but just this kind of actress or actor you know that I like to draw attention to where I think that it's very easy for us to sort of you know what happened with Matthew McConaughey back in the in the day until the McConaughey right and now I think that's kind of waning again but yeah those actors that it's easy to poke fun at and say that they just kind of do the same stuff and it's not interesting to you and Kristen Stewart I think is someone who stepped away from that with a plum and he's going to go from strength to strength so her and Janelle Monet I mean I guess I dual recommend both of them for <laughs> for this week um Paul bring us home is there anything else you wanted to say on this yeah that's, that does it for me for this week so uh just thanks for listening uh, and we will see you around the same time next week you can find us on iTunes you normally do this bit so I'm going to give it a roll yeah you can find us on iTunes you can find us on soundcloud.com forward slash strangers in a cinema at strangers cinema on twitter Instagram we're both hammering that fairly heavily at the moment yeah. which is quite good fun to do so you know keep liking the stuff on there um, what have I missed all them places yeah and also uh, you know anybody and everybody who could re-share the show uh, link to the show hashtag the show whatever you can do to just push it out to a few more ears that would be fantastic and yeah go back and listen to old episodes too because there's some good stuff in there really good stuff and you know we enjoy going back and, and seeing what we were into a year two years ago so um yeah thanks for listening we'll be back next monday that's uh, uh, yeah and that's goodbye from me paul goodbye from me pete